Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. We trust our phones not to keep tabs on us, but we don't trust robots to do heart surgery. We're going to be talking about tech and medicine, the new inventions being made, the new processes being made, the new medicine added to the world. But before we get into that, Nick, what's your medicine for today? What are you drinking? Well, Jim Bean and Coca-Cola, two things that are for sure to kill you. (laughs) What about yourself? I am trying some blind squirrel whiskey, and no joke, it tastes peanut buttery, so... uh, That's probably just what the doctor subscribed. But yes, tech and medicine, the ever-growing field of having robotics meet the medical world. Innovations from all around the world meeting together to help solve problems that plague humanity, and quite literally some plagues. And in this episode, we'll be exploring them. We're going to be going all over the board with them and talking and debating about their purpose and if they're even a good thing to have. Because, Nick, I don't know about you, but some things I came across seem a little questionable on the ethics sides and i don't know if you would like to start or you'd like me to start well i guess let's uh i'll start with a pretty easy one and then i will save some of the more questionable ones with the longer discussion for the end so i think the the first one it's pretty obvious i think a lot of people see this coming is the introduction to virtual and augmented reality in medicine and this has a lot of applications for one just training purposes obviously virtual reality and augmented reality so for example you know everyone's seen the the vr glasses their difference between the two i'm not going to get too deep into it but virtual reality is projecting a whole whole world in front of your face and that you can look around and interact with augmented reality you're seeing what you're seeing but it's adding stuff so it might have an arrow or something that points like you know cut here or don't cut here <laughs> an overlay yeah the same thing they're doing with sharpies but now we have cool glasses for it but one of the benefits of this is with these glasses these virtual reality augmented reality glasses when someone is teaching like a surgery class or something they can have these glasses on and then the students can be in the room with them but also see exactly what that person is seeing exactly what they're pointing to and then they can use their augmented reality to kind of pop up with an explanation of what that is. Or just even just the teacher can point it out, not just with you know a finger, but something that pops up on the screen just to get a better explanation. Now, right now, these glasses are pretty bulky and they're not, not in practical use. They've been in laboratory tests and they've performed fine. But they're, and as the price goes down, this will obviously make them easier for people to use more affordable but we're kind of in the beginning stages right now yeah i saw a lot with not just augmented but video games in general the amount of surgery simulators being used to perhaps teach students in the future on how to do some surgeries rather than just doing it on a cadaver or a a deceased animal or on a test dummy you can actually do it with a virtual machine and that might be able to change the scenario of like oh this person's fatter so there's going to be this in the way. Oh, this person has this little lining condition. So that's there. 
And I also thought it was really interesting. Apparently, video games is really good for surgeons. Uh, if you want uh, a good surgeon playing, I think, about three hours to eight hours a week makes a better surgeon. And it's also video games are really good for recovering stroke victims. It helps with the hand-eye coordination, speech, and uh, remapping the brain patterns. It's video games, uh, like are unfort- unlike video games, are not like our parents told us. They're actually good for you in small doses. I I believe it. And another thing too is so in- instead of if you're working on like a cadaver or something, and I'm just kind of throwing this out there because I feel like I run into this training people on other things. With the virtual reality, like someone asks, okay, well, what if this happens? What if you hit, you know, do something in the wrong spot? You can just rewind 30 seconds and you can play that simulation out. So if that happens, then this, you know, if you've already completed the operation on a cadaver, you're out of luck. Now, I don't think that working, practicing on a cadaver is ever going to go away. Not that I, or that it should, but not everyone has access to all those resources. So it might free up. You know, some resources might not be as common as is now, but it's just another tool. Yeah, with that tool, let's say um, say you're in a third world country and you don't have the surgeon who's trained for it. They can put out the augmented augmented glasses and maybe have an expert walk through that procedure with you, and they can see exactly what you see, and you can help highlight what they're supposed to look for and stuff like that. It could be a teaching tool that expands past the classroom. Yeah, you won't have to, doctors don't have to go to all these different places. They can be in several different places at once and help all these people. That's a good point. I never really thought of that. And speaking of expansion, it might be a little switching up a little there. Expansion microscopy. Now, our microscopes nowadays, are they good? They're definitely good, but there's always rooms for improvement. And when you're dealing with stuff like cells, it's really small stuff and sometimes it's really hard to see especially if you're looking for uh, a certain bacteria certain virus etc etc if you're taking an example and you're trying to see the nitty-gritty of whatever that cell makes up but it'd be it'd be great if you could just like make that cell bigger and then put it underneath the microscope well some scientists have figured out how to do that making the cells grow up to four to five times bigger and how it's done is actually kind of funny to me so they take a polymer the same polymer that is mainly used in commercial diapers because it's so absorbent is inserted into a cell and then a dye is implemented on the uh, perimeter so you can tell if the cell is busted or not. And then they add water to help expand the cell like a balloon. So they're using diaper polymers to expand cells to put it underneath the microscope to see. And the great thing about this, along with the augmented reality glasses, it's also kind of a cheap process to do. So it might become more common, so you can see more of the cells. Oh, you make it cheap, people are going to use it. Yeah, um, and speaking of cheap, Nick, you're probably familiar with how back in history you used to use magnet uh, maggots to clean wounds to eat away the dead tissue. Yeah, and you got to get use the leeches to get the bad blood out. Well, we're taking some knowledge from our ancestors and their old traditional methods, at the University of Maryland in the School of Medicine, they developed, which is best described as a robotic maggot. This robotic crawling device that crawls up to tumors, electrically shocks the tumors, and then sucks up the tumor cells and then evacuates, is got of an inspiration from maggots. And it seems like history just always repeats itself with a new skin. It looks like instead of using the old, old school maggots, we're using robotic maggots, which... 
I don't know how I would feel about a robotic maggot crawling inside of me to eat cancer cells. I'm happy it's eating cancer cells, but it just seems weird something's crawling around inside of me. Didn't they do this one in the Matrix? They gotta suck the the robot out of the. He had the belly button because it was like it was like a mosquito or a tracker or something. Yeah, that's that's all I'm picturing. Well, it robotics are here to help, and they seem to be making everything in the medical field much better. Uh, say, for example, uh, the exoskeletons were quite. I think everyone's familiar with an exoskeleton, a robotic outer shell to go onto people to help them lift and. Uh, carry stuff and exoskeletons are helping making paralyzed people walk using sensories they can even uh paralegic can move around and help with everyday life but i think it's also important to know i came across an interesting study exoskeletons though they may help with your body even if you're doing like manual labor you're a healthy person you're doing manual labor so you can lift more do more last longer save your back it does come at a cost so a recent study from ohio state showed that people who use exoskeletons did not wear on their bodies as much, but as a payoff, heavily increased their brain usage. So you might have been saving less taxation on your body, but more taxation on your mind. Now take it with a grain of salt. This study only had a very small sample size because I imagine not a lot of people are using exoskeletons in the workforce. The sample size was only 12 people, so heavy grain of salt. But it does make sense to me if, if it's because exoskeleton, you have to think about your movements. It's not as natural. I feel like at a certain point it might become as natural. I mean, how, just I don't know if you know this, but how long did the study go? It wasn't a long study. It was um, they were doing um, basic tasks of with a uh, exoskeleton and without an exoskeleton, and they were just monitoring both the body and the brain. So not it was maybe a weekend kind of study, I guess, or a week study. Yeah, because I'm think like so for me when we go through like planting season. And I'm using a forklift at like for an hour a day or so. In the beginning, I really have to think about what I'm doing. But by the end of it, after doing it for three months or so, it's almost like an extension of your body. Like you don't really think about it as much. You just do. I mean, that's a, that's a valid point. You get used to something, you get good at it. But I I do see a payoff of. I, I imagine you got to if you're saving your body more, you got to use your brain a little bit more so i imagine there's some merit of truth i just don't know how much merit of truth i i I completely agree with you nick though the more you do it the better the better you are yeah i mean you can't have your cake and eat it too but nick i'm an american i want i want both another interesting one i thought you might like because we both have to deal with them where we live is uh you know how snake venom is used to make anti-venom yep looks like scorpions have more use than making anti-scorpion venom yellow scorpions maybe now used to kill cancer. So mainly to treat uh, gliomas, a disease that 17,000 Americans get each year and only 8% survive for two years. This venom apparently really does not like that disease and it's quite effective at killing it. So we might be taking shots of scorpion venom for cures, which seems like a oxymoron almost. It's that meme, it's like, we were bad, but now we're good. <laughs> True. Speaking of getting stung by stuff, so you know how, say not the West is, isn't the best example, because if you get bit by a snake, it's probably a rattlesnake. But if you're down in, let's just say the South, where you have multiple snakes that want to kill you, or maybe even like Australia, where everything is trying to kill you, <laughs> 
and you get bit, stung, but you don't know by what, you might have a use for artificial intelligence to kind of figure out what you were stung by or bit by and then give you the right anti-venom. Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, AI is making a huge, huge tidal wave in the medical field. I, I imagine AI, if you take a picture of the bite or sting mark, could probably identify it easier based on coloration, size of the hole. Uh, you probably have a better chance of identifying, because I honestly have no idea if you don't know what you get stung by, how they identify what you got stung by. Are you just kind of... I think they kind of take like a reasonable guess for the area and based with whatever description that they have or like where they got stung and kind of guess what species it was is kind of what it sounds like. So if a blind person gets stung, they're shit out of luck. Yep, pretty much. Well, I think they might be able to have a clue like, were you near water? Were you in grass? Were you in woods? And it kind of separates the species a little bit. That's nice. Maybe like... Not only can is AI making new types of medicines, but it's also identifying what medicine you need. That's a nice thing to have, just kind of plug and play. Yeah, and I think AI is it's going to be its biggest impact is in that kind of environment of, you know, you go into the doctor for something and maybe the doctor doesn't know what it is, but he can plug in your symptoms and the, the AI, with like all your other information and the AI might be able to figure out whittle it down to something a little bit faster than the doctor might, just because if it's something that you don't deal with every day, you may not be as familiar with it. Oh, yeah. You have the brains of thousands instead of the brain of one. I imagine the diagnosis would be much better. That being said, uh, WebMD has always been correct. Isn't that right? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're told to believe. 100% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> Well, speaking of artificial, this one I kind of saw, and I, I immediately thought of you, Nick. Artificial tongues. Now, it's currently not being used in the medical field, but at the, the scientists at the University of Glasgow have made synthetic tongues for tasting whiskey. They've developed a tongue which can tell the difference of the same whiskey aged in different barrels, uh, how long it's been uh, aged, to help against counterfeit whiskeys. I can see this being used to, for tech for allergies, so like like a litmus strip, but for like your soup. Like, oh, this has something I'm allergic to. I can't eat it. But I just love how scientists are getting paid or putting their effort into synthetic tongues to taste whiskey. I Can you imagine if this came out like uh, when Kiss was popular, how many people would have Gene Simmons tongues, <laughs> synthetic Gene Simmons tongues? <laughs> Uh, now granted, this isn't one that goes on your tongue quite yet. It just acts like a tongue for a person. So it's kind of, it's kind of, you put the sample on it, but I mean, if someone loses their tongue, I imagine it's gotta be nice to taste things again. If you get a synthetic tongue made for you. Yeah. And that would also be good too, for people going out to eat. You could probably establish a global spiciness level because some people go in order you know, whatever, and then go somewhere else and order like a medium and just be like in fucking tears. This, uh, yeah, uh, this, this is going to sound way out there and kind of way off topic, but I just want to throw it out there. Imagine a sample platter for your synthetic tongue, like a synthetic tongue can make reduce its own chemicals. Like you put it over your tongue and go, I wonder what this tastes like. And it gives you a quick taste on your tongue. So like, so you're, you're browsing through your SkyMall catalog and 
you're looking at some some food and you put you take the little thing out of the the plastic or whatever put it on your synthetic tongue and then scroll through get a little taste of whatever the fuck they're selling yeah or like um they make like their recipe a qr code so you scan it and your the, the synthetic tongue synthetically makes the chemicals to make it taste like how it would taste oh i could fuck with my friends so bad <laughs> why why does this taste like dog shit <laughs> little do you know you will eat that cat poop <laughs> Uh, well, sticking on the artificial for a bit, uh, artificial blood. Now, you might just say, well, we have lots of people who donate blood. We don't have enough. You should always donate blood, people. And we are developing and kind of have developed artificial blood to help people be alive. Now, there are different types of artificial blood because current artificial blood can't do everything that natural produced blood can do. But... This artificial blood can be made more sterile, so you have less chances of transferring diseases, and has no blood type, so it's plug and play. You don't have to worry about, are they B negative, are they A positive, are they O? And probably the most important feature to me is longer shelf life. You don't have to keep it as cold, don't have to have it be switched out constantly. You can ship it to a third world country where refrigeration might not be a thing you can not have to have as many people donate blood so you have a larger supply on hand it it seems like a win-win yeah i mean especially for those hard to hard to get blood types you know your o's and stuff can't always get that this is gonna be sound kind of dumb is it o positive that can give to everyone and o negative that can only take from o negative or is it vice versa i think i thought o negative was the universal donor it's one of those two i don't know i am an engineer not in the medical field O negative is the variety of blood that has the lowest risk of causing serious reactions for most people who receive it. Interesting. Well, I was wrong, and thank God for Google. But sticking on more things I kind of know, engineering. And, well, at the University of Texas, you know me, Nick, I got to bring it back to Texas, uh, director Joan Nicholas and her team had developed synthetic lungs and have started testing them on pigs with high success. Uh, for those who don't know, synthetic lungs are kind of always been chased after, but never came close. A heart is a lot easier to produce than lungs because lungs aren't just expanding. They're also absorbing, uh, keeping out different things. Lungs are extremely complicated. Like the amount of tiny veins inside a person's lungs, it's, it's miles long. And I thought it was very interesting that one, it, I think it took her like 15 years to finally get a working prototype or something like that. But it's already working on, biologically, our closest similar organ animal counterpart pigs. And uh, that all the animal testing seemed to be high success. And it might be people aren't living in iron lungs anymore. Uh, if someone gets a lung puncture, they might be able to get a lung replaced. Because lung transplant is a very delicate, hard procedure to do. So... We now have a procedure where we don't have to worry about the correct organ organ donor, not the so many other factors like sizes, is it will fit, stuff like that. They're just kind of a custom lung fabricated for each individual. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something that everyone wants. You know, is uh, tish, tissue printing and engineering creating personalized organs for you? You know, with your genetic code or, or some some way that it won't attack you because if you receive a organ transplant most of the time 
you know, if, if it doesn't work, then your body tries to kill it. And so a lot of times you'll be on, like, uh, what do they call them? Immuno, immunosuppressant drugs. So your, your immune system's compromised like every day of your life. But if your organs fit your genetic code, your body's not going to try and kill it. So you don't need to suppress your immune system, which means you can have your cake and eat it too. You can get your new lung and have a functioning immune system. Yeah, the amount of drugs are, that people are put on for organ transfer is ridiculous. Like, to your body's really good at expelling and not wanting foreign objects in itself. So when it has the opportunity, it will try to expel it, which unfortunately might mean it's try to kill you. So having that example of, like, like you said, like printed artificial growing organs, like that's an actual thing. Like we're starting to grow organs in like 3D printers. So stem cell printing, it's, you might be able to, when you're young, set up a small bank or like for a parent, like set up a small bank of organs. So if something happens, they have an immediate organ to go into their child. Or it's like your 30,000 mile, you know, for your car, you come in and you get your new organ, you get your new liver, shit like that. Well, I know which one of those two we need, Nick. But we're not only just growing them in uh, labs, but we're also kind of using animals. Uh, we are more the same than we are different. Uh, xenotransplantation is using animal organs in humans. Like, you've all heard the story of uh, a pig heart and a human person. I mean, South Park did a whole episode on Honey Boo Boo on it. It's, uh, it's real and it's coming. We might be able to use livestock to help grow organs for people. And especially if it's hard, complicated organs like lungs, like heart, like, um, uh, uh intestines. Cause I saw that cause I did not know intestine transplants were a thing until researching this which they are apparently you can transplant just about anything you want i even saw a guy get a dual arm transplant two arm you got two new arms yeah two new arms uh they were one was below the elbow and one one was above the elbow and he got a donor's arms and he can use them um i think he still has limited use of them but he has arms again which that's got to be really trippy of having arms, but knowing that they're not 100% your arms. Yeah, that's got to be pretty weird. Um, in case anyone's wondering. We may have to cut this, but. If you masturbate. If you jack off. <laughs> is it gay? Uh, good question. I don't know if he got male or female arms, but in case anyone's wondering, he's uh, uh, Sergeant John Pex. He's a former Marine, and uh, he's the one who got the dual uh arm transplant he uh seems to be going well uh his arms i'm not gonna lie this might be because i'm just not in the medical medical field they look jacked up but it looks like his arms like they match the skin color that i mean i i know people have done dick transplants recently i just did not know arms were physically possible yeah i feel like arms a little bit more complicated yeah i i and what now what i'm thinking is if someone loses legs well how long until we get leg transplants or uh bone transplants i i don't know if bone transplants are a thing but i know bones are really complicated because they help produce blood and i imagine your body's gonna be thinking that's like a foreign uh a foreign agent inside your body and you're trying to get rid of it so i have I'll, i have no idea how that's going to affect anything he has different 
fingerprints than he used to have. I just thought of that. Time to commit crimes. (laughs) That'd suck if you get new arms and you go, like, to go buy a gun, you put your fingerprints down and the guy used to be a felon and then you have to explain (laughs) that those aren't his fingerprints. Those are just his arms. Oh, God. That's... That's such a big legal issue. I have no... Oh, my God. That's a... I didn't think about that. Like, no, 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 no. They were his, but they're mine now. You're talking about your arms. Yes, yes, yes. But they're his... Imagine if the arms had tattoos, too. Like, you don't get to choose the tattoos. Yeah, this is my... You, you get, like, a white supremacist <laughs> arms. I was going to on the same page. It's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not a supremacist. I just got this dead guy's arms, because that's a normal sentence. Yeah, it'd be really unfortunate if you were a rabbi... Oh, God. Well, is... There's, like, a TV show in there or something. I was like, is that a... Is, I know it's against Orthodox Jews to get tattooed, so if you get an arm transplant it's not your body part that becomes your body part, did you still get a tattoo, or didn't you get a tattoo? I feel like they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't give you tattooed arms. Uh, well, I figured they'd be whatever one fits. Like, okay, same blood type, same size, because you don't want, like... Someone's got like se- who's a seven foot person arms on a person who's five two. I I imagine arms are kind of unique, and you got to be somewhat in a ballpark to match that. So you kind of don't get to choose. Could not tell you. Oh God, yeah, and and then reattaching the nerves because reattaching the nerves is really hard. And speaking of different ways to reattach the nerves, it's especially in the brain because I I'm a bit fascinated with the brain because how complex it is and how little we understand it at. MIT, a group of researchers have found a way to reattach nerves after brain damage. So pretty much they use uh, a liquid slurry of amino acids injected near the site and then assembled into like scaffolding for the nerves. This helps set up and start to grow the nerves to help reattach each other. Um, Currently, they're only doing animal testing, and I am surprised by the results. Um... In this test, they only did it on rodents to, I think it was either hamsters. I don't think it was rats. I think it was hamsters for some reason uh, to reattach their vision after brain damage. The rodents, after this process, after a result of six months, 75% of the animals got their visions back. So imagine if you're in a car accident and you get brain damage. They might be able to just fix it. It's no longer you're dealing with that issue that you have anymore. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. I mean, I think... It's not that it's a really technology, but just our understanding of the human body is probably going to increase over time because it has been and it probably will be in the future. Oh, yeah. And especially with the hell of AI, like you mentioned earlier, I, I imagine once we start using machine learning, and we start collecting all our knowledge together. We'll get a full understanding of the human body and tons of different diseases and how to treat them. Speaking of how to treat them and sticking with the brain, again, I was kind of fascinated with the brain when researching this. Um, for those who don't know, getting medicine to the brain is kind of hard to do. Uh, that's why tumors in the brain are kind of more dangerous than like tumors elsewhere in the body because your brain has protective barriers called the blood brain barrier. It kind of helps keep out foreign objects. And if you're injecting, you know, medicine in an IV, more than likely the, the blood brain barrier will prevent that. But this new technique of called focus ultrasound, also known as FUS, is using ultrasound to bypass the blood barrier, uh, blood brain barrier. So how it works 
from my understanding, again, medicine is not my forte, is an encased medicine in a gas bubble. The bubble is then injected, and the bubble is only like the size of a red blood, so normal kind of size. Once the medicine slash bubble is near it, they use the ultrasound, a focused ultrasound, to vibrate the fuck out of this bubble to make the bubble expand and contract consistently, allowing it to kind of wedge itself, slip in, vibrate itself through the blood-brain barrier, which right now it's being used to uh, fight against diseases in testing with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and uh, glioblastoma. So it is a possibility. I'm not sure if these are for animal testing or human testing, cause, but to get past the human's defense system is extremely difficult and extremely intriguing. It's amazing, Nick. It's like humans want to survive. Yeah, no one saw that one coming. And that's another thing um, that I saw a little bit about is just more targeted treatments, especially as we understand more about people's genetic codes of having a better understanding of what treatments will work with what people, just because we're all pretty different, but understanding your people's genetic codes will give them a better idea of what will work for them and what won't, taking some of the little bit more of the guesswork out of some of the medicine. Yes, it's um, customized medicine, pretty much. Instead of, you know, oh, you have a headache, take this Advil. It'd be, oh, you have a headache? Well, I'll, well, you just type it in, your pharmacist sends a file for your printer to 3D print, and you pop the pill in, and it's customly made for you to work the best for you. It's not cover as many as we can with medicine, it's individual medicine, which I'm kind of a fan for. I mean, human bodies are so, how, how simple and similar we are yet we're still so complicated and different so that little bit of edge might mean the difference of someone living and someone dying and speaking of uh customization for medicine nick have you seen with the robotic nurses and the robotic helpers entering the medical medical field what people are doing to them Mm, i I think so not exactly sure where you're going well with them customizing them dressing them up making them more human-like and teaching them how to hug to help comfort people like i saw a lot of robots entering the nursing homes to make the elderly feel more at ease which i'm a fan for but it's also kind of creepy on how humanoid or how they're making these robots look to quote-unquote appeal to the human eye uh that's just terrifying (laughs) that scares scares me yeah, I know. I think it's Japan has a bunch of robot nurses. I think they only like bring food and comfort people and ask how people are doing, stuff like that, or remind them to take like an advanced Siri, I guess. A Siri on wheels, which is kind of out of my nightmares. But if it's helping people in the medical world, I, I imagine that's got to be great because, I mean, we already have what? The Leonardo da Vinci machine came out in what, 2004, which for those who don't know is a. Have you ever seen a, per- a surgery done on a grape? That was a Leonardo da Vinci machine. It's a very delicate, precise machine able to do pretty much surgeries with remote control joysticks. Yeah, and so you can kind of go inside without opening up everything. So there's it's less invasive surgeries than before. Yeah, and that yeah that's that's huge for those who, I, I, for those who don't know. It, the larger the hole you make, the more chance of bacteria or something bad getting in it. So if it's only, you know the size of a centimeter opening and you're able to do the surgery instead of ease being at five inches that's a big advantage also means less scarring tissue able to hide scars and speaking of scars 
people are now doing skin transplants, skin graphies to hide your scar tissue. You might be able to get your skin transplanted. It's an organ, so you could technically regrow your skin and get it transferred and stuff like that, which is really weird to think about, like almost like lizard people. Yeah, and just like you said, have some on the back, especially for like burn victims and stuff, have some way to easily get new tissue. Yeah, and I have some more, Nick, but they're kind of debatable slash good things. Are they good or are they bad for humanity sort of things, which I'm not sure if you want to get into or if you had some more scientific stuff you wanted to share with us. Got two more things before we get into that. And so one, just uh, digital tattoos, basically really small, like imagine, you know, one of those little bit bigger band-aids, but you wear it for however long. It could be a permanent one or it could just be a temporary one. And it basically collects all your data, uses your, your movement as electricity to power it, records things you know, besides just like heart rate and blood pressure, but also each can serve its own unique function, like monitoring a specific level of X in in your body as a way to get more accurate information over time, not just a get blood drawn once a year and, and that's how you figure stuff out. And then the other one would be just more on the AI road, but talking about but more of talking to patients, right? So not every call to a doctor's office is probably life or death and kind of on the theme of improving WebMD, but more remote and AI-driven answers, kind of chatbots to help you figure it out if it's something simple that maybe you don't necessarily need an actual doctor, but maybe you need more, maybe like a little bit higher you know you can't ask your buddy you maybe just need to see a nurse and she can help you but stuff like that that decreases the workload and makes medicine more accessible for everybody oh also i imagine checkups like hey how are you feeling today you don't have to go in and get a checkup done it could just be like oh well you can do this over the phone we could uh you could just answer these questions based uh on the ai chatbot like you said nick yeah you know put put a digital tattoo on it'll monitor you for 24 hours get everything that your your blood would show heart rate throughout the day all that stuff and then it'll process it ask you questions and you can ask it questions if you have questions and if it can't answer maybe it directs you to a doctor or something but you know i'm not always a huge favor of talking to machines just because half the time you just spend trying to get to a real person but the thought is eventually they'll be able to do it themselves without having a human answer all the questions. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to some of my philosophy questions, mainly on a lot on AI. I, um, yes, doctors and medical professions misdiagnose people, but an AI, if it misdiagnoses, you can argue with a human, you can get a second opinion, but if everyone's using the same AI system, you might get the same results, so to speak. That does make me a bit nervous. I think AI might be too dependent on. We should definitely have a good balance of actual physicians and AI. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where that that's probably going to be the case in the beginning where you're going to have the AI coming in as a new technology and the doctors are going to use it, but they're still going to rely on 
their experience. But as those doctors get aged out, then you're going to run into problems of doctors who are more overly reliant on AI. Yeah, that's it. Probably make people slack a little bit, depending on the uh, people it is, because that makes me ner- nervous. Because when people are too reliant on tech, I mean, look at the pyramids. Uh, our ancestors forgot how to build the pyramids, and that technology was lost. And if we become too reliant and take it too too far for granted, it's uh, it's knowledge forever lost, and we have to relearn it all over again. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're seeing that in our day to day. Me personally, in my field of forestry, a lot of people are. There's a huge shift in probably everyone's industry, but in mine right now, transitioning from an older workforce to a younger workforce. And we're at this weird mesh of half the workers are pretty pretty reliant on technology and the other half wouldn't know how to use a smartphone map to save their life. They're still using paper maps for everything and they can do it fine. You know, there's no loss of productivity. It's just different preferences. But it doesn't always seem like everyone is... Uh, it's hard to work, you know, if you have an older person trying to give a younger person directions on the paper map or vice versa it's like two different worlds yeah i'll just send you my geolocation you can just put in your maps and do it it's like no no no, we're gonna look at the map i'm gonna draw you out a uh a plan for uh how to how to make it to there that's a that's two different worlds and it just it makes me nervous when we're too reliant on technology like like you said with the custom band-aid to help monitor you and with ai another thing that concerns me is how we're putting everyone's medical information into the cloud and based on which hospital they can just pull up who you are, what tests you've had done, stuff like that, which makes it really useful. I personally used to have to carry a CD disc and a flash drive everywhere for my medical information. So that would have made it a lot easier. But that being said, once you put everything in the cloud, the cloud can be hackable and that's everyone's medical information out there. And it's, I imagine the, medical field probably doesn't have the best cybersecurity. If I had to take a guess, I don't know. But that also makes me nervous and it also makes me optimistic how we're centralizing everything so hospitals can talk with other hospitals to talk about what patient has, what they need. Like if I go on vacation, visit Nick, and all of a sudden I'm in a car accident, they'll be able to pull up by my ID, what blood type I have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting to that point, which is good. It's also bad, though, that it's everything's being centralized. And I was wondering how you feel about that, Nick. I feel like there's, like you said, there's going to be a big data breach, and it's gonna you're going to be scrolling on your phone. It's like, looks like your medical record suggests that you have herpes. Amazon Prime suggests buying these Trojan condoms. Oh, God. Imagine if Amazon got a hold of your medical records. That's, that's, that data there is a gold mine to, for product placements and selling like oh you're having knee problems here's this custom knee brace oh you're having sleeping problems here's these sleeping pills that is dangerous that is very dangerous yeah uh, but i don't know it's definitely something to consider but i feel like we talk a lot about stuff like this and be like well it's all the problem is there's no cybersecurity, so it's not necessarily a problem with this technology it's more of a cybersecurity issue yeah that is true that's uh, not necessarily the medical fault, but the cybersecurity's medical fault. Uh, so, yeah, I, I completely agree with that statement and on, on those points. It's just... But it's not... That doesn't mean we need to throw it out and be like, well, you know, we're not going to talk about it. But it's just... It's not a problem with the, 
the technology, with that end of the technology and the uses for it, it's just something that can happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I see all the techs being, all the advancements in medical, not just the technology and advancements. I mean, nowadays, most people have some type of heart monitor on their wrist or they know how to calculate it. They have emergency buttons for if people fall, they fall and they can't get up. They have, the technology is ever growing and ever coming into a person's home, which makes us kind of safer. Like this is actually technology that is good for everybody because it's quite literally just trying to save your life. It's an unbiased technology, which is quite refreshing in this new age of social media and technology that we have. Yeah. And I think it's just another thing they're going to have to change, you know, all the some kind of legislation or you're going to have to have one central brand, I guess, keep track of all that because, you know, hospitals have to request permission from other hospitals. You have to sign a form here. You have to sign a form there. This company may not, you know, transfer files over to that company. That the administrative side, it sounds like it'd be a huge pain. I'm also thinking about the administrative side for your at home custom robots. You are not allowed to hack your robot. You're not allowed to put guns on your robot. No, you cannot turn your robot into the Terminator. I feel like there, I feel like that's a horror movie right there, where the robot nurses turn against the humans. I feel like that's definitely been a movie. This probably has. I don't watch many movies, but I feel like that's a that's an actual possibility. If we're having, you know, uh, say robots to help again with the nursing homes, to just to make people feel like less lonely, make sure they're taking their pills. We don't really need to hire people to do that. We can automate it with, and with the tech and the medical field. We can do that. But what happens if the tech goes haywire? Like, it's a lot easier to explain a few humans being kind of shitty humans than it is, oh, our robot malfunctioned and killed your grandma. Yeah, that's, uh, it's not the plot of iRobot. It's up, it's, it's similar, s- yeah. It's, uh, he doesn't trust the, the robot taking care of his mom. Well, he just doesn't touch robots in general because he got in a car accident and the robot couldn't save him. I believe that's a Philip Dick book, if I remember. I, I robot. Probably. God, he comes up quite often, no matter what we in. <laughs> well, Nick, do you have uh, any questions that you came across that you're thinking about that might be issues in the future for medicine? So I got two more controversial topics. So one would be the... Uh, it's. It doesn't seem very controversial. I think the most controversial part is just that the science isn't quite there yet, but it's called Nutra Genomics, and it's basically a combination of how your diet can influence your life based off your genetic material. And the problem is right now, it's basically there's two groups who are shelling this, and it's chiropractors and like, uh, I don't know what you call them, fitness people on instagram influencers yes um and so it it seems like it could be promising and i looked it up and there are a few scientific studies on it but i think just part of the problem is we're not there yet in our understanding of the complete human genome of how every gene interacts with every food but that's something that might come up of say oh like you know we already have it with your if you do a 23 and me or whatever it's called and you get it back. It's like, you can process potatoes well because you're from Ireland. Shit like that. Yeah, it's got, I, I agree with you. It's got promise. I just, I also agree with you. We're just not quite there yet. Because, I mean, how many times have different people from different regions 
bred and intermingled and produce different types of genes. Not not everyone's the same. Just because you're somewhat near or you have similar ancestors to this region, you had, could have had ancestors that come from different regions. Yep, exactly. And using that same information to say, combining what your your diet and exercise is along with your genetic code to say, oh, this is a you know you're more likely to suffer from this, and if you do this, you may not get this as much. And that's just something that we're going to have to build some kind of database to understand that. Oh boy, more databases, my favorite. And then the last one is probably, um, I'm trying to find the word because I didn't write it down, but it's been banned in the United States, but we can still do it in China. Well, that doesn't mean it's good. (laughs) Anywhere else. Um, But using AI and like Petri dish cultures to take a disease and then grow it and then figure out how to defeat that disease through vaccination or whatever something um now the problem with this is trying to rapidly grow diseases to become you know harder to kill and then trying to kill them basically war games with deadly pathogens is if there is a leak or something leaving from a it lab. gets out <laughs> yeah but this has been in this i'm not talking about covid specifically because this was a hot topic in 2016 and i think that's when obama banned it in the united states yeah if i remember correctly the cdc last i heard well before obama banned it was working on uh different types of black plague bacteria to in case it came back we could defeat it so pretty much is yes from what i understand is they cause mutations for it so they ha- so if different strains come out they're able to kill it which has some good things and also is very dangerous because like like the scorpion venom it's good to kill some things but it also will kill you and some different diseases can help save lives which is quite weird to say but we've learned a lot from that and it's helped save lives that being said it can also wipe out entire populations yeah so you know that's the that's the argument right if you can't do you can't have risk without the reward, but how much reward do you, how much risk do you really want to take for possibly no reward, right? Like, so what you're doing by testing these diseases is trying to figure out how it's most likely to mutate so you can get it next year. You know, think about like the flu each year when they make a vaccine for it, they figure out what is, it's most likely to be the top five flu strains, and then they make a vaccine for those flu strains. It's the same thing, but potentially deadlier viruses. Yeah, that's that's not my uh, my favorite thing is uh, deadly new viruses. I, again, I'm a, I'm a simple engineer. I know machines. I don't know medical stuff. Well, that's pretty much all I had. Well, with all that being said, there's so much different technology entering the medical field, constantly growing, constantly innovating. There's just too much to cover. And I would love to have people tell us ones they've heard about or came across or even know about and tell us about it because it's just it's such a vast and so many different categories it's hard to cover and find everything and if they wanted to tell us nick where would they find it find us you can find us on backyard philosophy podcast and instagram and youtube and for those of you wondering the process i was talking about with researching growing the virus is called gain of function research gain gaina 
gain of function, gain of function. research. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. So you bio- biologically enhance the disease so that you can learn more about it. Well, with that being said, what books are you reading, Nick? If it, I'm hoping they're not about uh, diseases. Nope. I am reading uh, a book on China right now. and I'm looking up the title, but it's basically about starts off kind of the history of China and then what their goals are in the next 50 years of what what they want to do how their country operates and how they're going to see succeed in that so the what are you reading it's a long-term plan that that, that you have to tell me how that book is because I might borrow that from you I'm rereading one of my favorite books Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Branberry this is probably the third time I've read it still good still kind of a light read I just needed a kind of a break from all the science and history books, a little bit more fiction in, in my uh, reading lists. Gotcha. So the book is called The 100-Year Marathon, China's Secret Strategy to Replace America as the Global Superpower. Is it a secret if everyone knows that they're going to do it? I think it's just that no one cares. Ah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Well, with that being said, we hope medical improvements keep happening and people keep lives keep being extended and saved and have better quality of life. And as always... Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.